Hey guys, welcome to Booze, Bullshit, and True Crime. I'm Bree. I'm Wade. And we don't have a fancy intro for you, but we're going to talk about some gnarly shit. Uh, today's episode we titled Killer Medicine, and that's referencing an angel of death, otherwise called an angel of mercy. They are a very rare type of criminal offender. They are often a type of serial killer who is usually employed as a caregiver and intentionally harms or kills the people under their care. So, motivations for these crimes can be super varied, but they generally do fall into one or more types of patterns. Now, there's a few patterns. I'll go over each of them, and then I'll give some like examples of them as well so we can tell the difference. There's something called a mercy killer. They believe that the patient is suffering or beyond help and feel like they are doing the victim a solid by fucking murdering them. Um, sadistic killer, they use their position as a way of exerting power and control over helpless victims. Malignant hero is a type of serial killer where the subject endangers the victim's life in some way, like intentionally hurts them and then proceeds to quote-unquote save them. Some fiend attempting resuscitation, all the while knowing the victim is already dead, but hopes to be seen as, like, doing a selfless act and making an effort to save the victim's life, so. They don't necessarily get off on killing the person, but they get off on, like, the attention they get from trying to save them, save them. Yeah. So a couple of examples of a, we'll do a mercy killer, Jane Topan. She testified during her murder trial that she was sexually aroused by death. She would administer a lethal injection and then crawl into bed with the victims and, like, hold them as they died. That's fucking disturbing. <laughs> I thought that was really fucking crazy. And it's interesting because there's not a lot of women serial killers. And on top of that, I don't feel like I normally hear about women who have murdered anyone, like, for sexual gratification. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of a dude thing. So I was like, damn, I'll go over that one. Um, another example is Harold Shipman, which I almost did him as my story, but you probably came across him too. He's yeah. like super popular, yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, so I wanted to do something a little different, but we'll touch on him here. He was an English family doctor, so like your general practitioner you go when you have a cold or whatever. Yeah. And he made his victims appear that they had succumbed of natural causes between 1975 and 1998. He murdered at least 215 patients, although he's expected of murdering upwards of 250. They just—he was so good. Yeah, they know. couldn't really pin it. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty nuts. Um, but that was kind of a short background on Angel of Death killers. I made it short because my story is fucking long as shit. Look at one, two, three, four, yep. five, six, seven, eight pages long. So. I should probably get this started. Um, but it's a crazy one. I had to do it. His name was Charles Edmund Cullen. Uh, he was a killer nurse. And he was born February 22nd in 1960 in West Orange, New Jersey. He was the last of eight children born to an Irish Catholic family. And they were, like, super strict. Um, I know that religion tends to be pretty strict. But his family was, like, extra from what I had read about him. Cullen's father was almost 60 years old when Cullen was born. So, hi Spencer, if you're listening. <laughs> Jesus. My best friend's dad is what, 77? Something like that. Yeah. Old? Old. Still works. Um, sadly, after Cullen was born, his father died when he was only seven months old. So, he didn't really remember anything about his father. 
He claimed to have a miserable childhood, enduring bullying from his schoolmates and his sister's boyfriends, which I read that and I was like, that sounds pussy as fuck. Like, I got bullied. I wouldn't say my childhood was miserable. Doesn't everybody get bullied? Yeah, everybody probably gets boiled, but who knows if he got bullied more than others. I don't know. I guess. He's just an asshole, so I don't like to defend him. It sounds like he's just a pussy. <laughs> he just couldn't take it. Um, well, after talking shit immediately about that, little Charles attempted suicide for the first time at age nine. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> Woo! Um... I wrote these notes a long time ago, sorry guys, by drinking the chemicals out of his chemistry set. And why was that a thing? He was a nine-year-old and he had a play chemistry set, and he just made a concoction and drank that. Um, he also attempted suicide the following year by shoving scissors through his head, like stabbing himself with them, and was rushed to emergency surgery. Uh, Cullen's mother was then killed after these suicide attempts in a car accident, and his sister was actually driving, so that was a pretty fucked situation. Um, in 1977, Colin was in his junior year of high school when this all happened with his mom, and she passed away, so he was obviously, like, devastated by all of this. A year later, he dropped out of high school to join the U.S. Navy, and he worked aboard a submarine named USS Woodrow Wilson, where he observed ballistic missiles, which I thought was pretty tight. Pretty cool. <laughs> Metal. Um, eventually, he was able to acquire the rank of Petty Officer 3rd Class, which I don't really know. Do you know? It's pretty high. Is it? Yeah. Guy's a dumbass. I'm surprised. Okay. The Navy was not a fun time for Cullen when he was enlisted. Just like his early childhood, he endured extreme bullying and hazing from his crewmates. He just could not, like, really seem to fit in anywhere he went. He was an awkward, shy individual, which, hey. Yeah. Me too. Um, alright, this is where this guy kind of starts to lose his shit a little bit. About a year into his service, the first officer of the USS Woodrow Wilson discovered Cullen seated at the controls of the missiles, where he was supposed to be, because it was his shift, but instead of being clad in his naval uniform, he had gotten into the medicine, or the medical cabinet in the submarine, and he was sitting there at the missiles wearing a surgical mask, gloves, and full scrubs. Colin was reprimanded for the incident, but never explained why he dressed the way he did, so that just happened. Okay. <laughs> um, he a hadn't, weird. Yeah, he hadn't gone to medical school, <coughs> medical school yet. He wasn't a nurse. He was just in the Navy working with missiles, and yeah. Um, after this incident, the Navy went ahead and assigned him to a less high-pressure job. Good call. And he worked aboard a supply ship, so no missiles for you. <laughs> the name of this submarine that he was transferred to was called the USS Canopus. Mm. <laughs> and I need to spell this for you. C-A-N-O-P-U-S-S. Canopus. <laughs> Jesus. And they were semen in a can of bus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. After this, Colin attempted suicide once more. He was then committed to the naval psychiatric ward several times in the next few years, so he just he was just slowly or actually pretty rapidly losing his shit um in the few years after that incident. The Navy issued a medical discharge for him in nineteen eighty four. Again, good call. After his discharge, Cullen decided to make a life change and enrolled at the Mountainside Hospital School of Nursing in Montclair, New Jersey. He was president of his nursing class, so there's that. Good job. 
Well done. <laughs> well done. Well done. From there, he landed a job at St. Barnabas. And, like, seriously, what's up with these names? Barnabas Medical Center in Livingston, New Jersey. Um, the same year that he had gotten that job at Barnabas, he met and married his wife, Adrian Taub. And the couple eventually had two daughters following their uh, wedding. Cullen's first murder was committed on June 11th, 1988. The patient's name was John Yango Sr., and he was admitted to Barnabas Hospital suffering from an allergic reaction to a blood-thinning medication. Cullen administered an overdose of medication to the patient intravenously. So that was his, supposedly his first patient that he killed. And hold on, let me guzzle some wine real quick. All right. Colin later admitted to killing a total of 11 patients at Barnabas. And super fucked up, one of these patients he killed was an AIDS patient that succumbed after receiving an overdose of insulin. What? Yeah. So, poor dude. I couldn't find his name or age or anything um, on that patient. It just stated that part probably for, like, medical privacy reasons. Mm -hmm. Charles quit his job in 1992 after investigators started catching on to the fact that the intravenous bags, like the plastic ones you see with the line coming out, uh, they had been tampered with, and so they had started investigating. He dipped the fuck out of there. Makes and, sense. Yeah. He was like, mm, my time here is done. Mm-hmm. And he was already 11 people deep at this point. Jesus. Yeah. He found a new job at Warren Hospital in Phillipsburg, New Jersey in February 1992. So all kind of in the same general area, at least the same state. At this hospital, he admitted to killing three elderly women. Which, again, AIDS patients, elderly women, like, I guess it doesn't matter who you kill, but still. Yeah. That's fucked up. He killed these elderly women by giving each of them intravenous overdoses of heart medication uh, called dioxin. His final victim at this hospital actually called him out before she passed away. So she told her family and other healthcare workers, like the other nurses and stuff in the hospital, that a sneaky male nurse had stuck into her room at night and injected her while she was sleeping and she woke up. Unfortunately, the comments were disregarded um, and she ultimately passed away from Charles giving her that shot. So they were just like, ah, oh, she has dementia. She's old as fuck. She doesn't know what she's talking about. And that's what killed her. Um, let's see, in 1993, Charles' wife, Adrian, filed for divorce from him. She had become increasingly disturbed at his unusual behavior and had also cited domestic violence on the filing. So again, just like spiraling, this guy's like losing it. The divorce documents painted Cullen as an extreme alcoholic who severely abused the family's two Yorkshire Terriers, which, I'm sorry, I know this is really fucked up, but, like, I read about murders all day killing people, and it's terrible and horrible, but I hear about people torturing sweet little baby dogs, and that makes me really angry. Yeah, they're defenseless animals. Well, in a sense, they're not completely defenseless. They're so good, though. What would you that's like an extra kind of mean. Adrian had stated that Charles had uh, stuffed one of the terriers into a bowling bag because he was angry with it, stuffed the other one into a trash can at one point. Um, he also did a bunch of weird shit, like he was known to pour lighter fluid in people's drinks as a prank, which I think lighter fluid can kill you. And... I'm pretty sure it can. Oh, uh, so funny prank. And he loved a prank called funeral homes. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Winner. So, good on you, sis. She got out of that relationship, and it may have saved her and her family's lives, honestly, because after this divorce filing, the murders began happening at, like, a more rapid rate. And after Colin had been divorced from Adrian, he stated that he wanted to quit nursing at this point, but he had to make child support payments to her, so he really couldn't leave the profession because he wouldn't be able to afford it. So, no, got to take care of your responsibility, poor thing. Also in 1993, March to be exact, Colin broke into a co-worker's home while she and her young son slept. He left without waking them. Um, after he began stalking the woman who filed a police report, he pled guilty to stalking and trespassing and was given one year probation. The day after he was arrested, he attempted suicide again. So this is not only like somebody he knows, this is one of his coworkers and he's just like watching her sleep and breaking into her house. Yeah, it's fucking weirdo shit. I mean, yeah. So he got probation from that incident. He supposedly attempted uh, suicide several more years that same year that all that stuff happened in 93. Um, he obviously isn't very good at it because he's tried to commit suicide a lot at this point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think part of the reason this piece of shit got away with all this for as long as he did is because he continually hospital hopped, which this is where that starts to happen a lot. Um, Colin moved hospitals again. He quit his job at Warren. Uh, early that year, because, you know, he got fucking arrested for stalking one of his co-workers. And he took a position at Hunter Medical Center in, I hope I'm saying this right, Raritan Township, New Jersey. He worked in the CICU unit there, which uh, CICU is Cardiovascular Intensive Care Unit. So it's like the ICU, but it's for yeah. people with heart conditions. And all of these patients are very sick, like they're on the edge of death. And we are talking about how horrible this nurse is and how bad he was, but my dad had a massive heart attack like six or seven years ago maybe. And the nurses in that department were like the most beautiful souls I've ever seen. They asked what kind of music he liked. They put it on for him even though he was in a coma. Like he mm-hmm. was not, you know, functioning. So talking about all this bad shit with this nurse, but nurses are great people and I'm glad they're around. And there's somebody out there that can do that because I sure as shit can't. Anyways. Colin claimed to not murder anyone during his first two years at this hospital, but records have been destroyed by his arrest, which was in 03, so it really prevented authorities from making any kind of investigation. I mean, I don't really believe this. I don't know why he would break his pattern and stop murdering at this hospital, but he admitted to, like, a lot else, but there's documentation on that stuff, so I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I think maybe he was, you know, after the suicide attempt, the divorce, maybe he was actually trying to go straight and pay his bills and do everything right and get back on his feet. He lasted a whole year. Yeah, it'd be surprising. 12 months. It's a long time. 365 days. I have no idea how many hours are in a year, but it's a I have much. no idea either. <laughs> Compared to me. Yeah. All right. Um, however, into his third year at this hospital he did admit to killing five patients by intravenously overdosing them with dioxin so that is his mo and these murders happened between january and september of 1996 so that's like one a month that was almost one a month that was very rapid 
Colin quit that hospital and moved again to another hospital, this time Morristown Memorial Hospital. But he was quickly fired for poor performance. I couldn't really figure out exactly what that meant, but just wasn't doing his job correctly or doing weird shit, so they canned him. He was unemployed for six months after his firing. After seeking help for depression at the Warren Hospital Emergency Room, which is fucking hilarious because that's just where he worked previously, mm -hmm. he was admitted to a psychiatric facility but was let out a short time later. So somehow this guy's still able to get a nursing position. After this whole fiasco with him going away, he was hired at Liberty Nursing and Rehabilitation Center in Allentown, Pennsylvania. He staffed a ward of respirator-dependent patients there. So if you can tell, like, most of the units that he's been in have been, like, critical, mm -hmm. intensive care, like, really sick people. So this guy was, this guy's fucking sick. Um, here at the, uh, what was it called, Liberty Nursing and Rehabilitation Center, he was accused of administering medication at unscheduled times, just running into random rooms, giving random medication that wasn't supposed to be for that patient, and he was fired when he was witnessed entering a patient's room holding syringes. Yee. The patient ended up with a broken arm, but he did not receive an injection after the struggle, so I think he probably, like, like, what's the word I'm looking for? misidentified, thought he was, like, weaker than he was, and went in there and tried to inject him, and the guy was like, fuck no, and fought him off, and got Most his arm likely, broken. Yeah. yeah. But he did survive. He just had that broken arm, so they let him go for that. So that in itself should be a reason for him to never work in a medical facility ever again. But after leaving Liberty, he scored a job at Easton Hospital in Easton, Pennsylvania. Just keeps happening. He worked there from November 1998 to March 1999, and during this time, on December 30th, 1998, he murdered yet another patient with dioxin again. A coroner's blood test did identify the dioxin overdose, but the hospital investigation was inconclusive, and nothing definitively pointed to Colin. And this was 98, so to 99. I don't know, when was CCTV a thing? I don't know, like 2002, something like that. Okay, so they probably didn't have any cameras in there or anything. It was probably kind of hard to... There wouldn't be any cameras in hospital rooms, would there be? Hall hall mm. Hallways and shit like that, but I don't think inside the room. I don't think they can have audio or visual. Well, I was thinking more like where the drugs are administered to the nurses for the patients and like the hallways to see where the oh, nurses Oh, yeah, went. well, you'd have your little badge you'd have to scan in to get into the room plus log in. But obviously it's not, like, monitored that well because he keeps doing this shit and getting medication. That, no. But that's why he used dioxin. Mm -hmm. It's not like he used, like, morphine exactly. or Dilaudid exactly. or something that's controlled. But still, I don't know. This this whole story blows my mind. That's why I picked this because he just keep he, he keeps going. I still got more pages of notes. Um, so he murdered that other patient on December 30th, 98, same way. And a coroner's blood test did identify the dioxin overdose, but the hospital investigation, like I said, was inconclusive. So he got off free. Even with his history of mental illness and the number of deaths during his employment at, like, a ton of fucking hospitals at this point, he continued to find work due to a national nurse shortage. How scary is that? That's ridiculous. Yeah. Wow. He just kept hopping around, finding places to go, and... They needed people. They they didn't have enough. And like they still need people, but yeah, I get what you're saying. 
they, I think things are definitely more strict now, which I touched on that at the end. But back in the day, my dad got paid to go through paramedic school. They needed paramedics that bad. Mm. I mean, give me money to go to school. Yeah. God damn. So on top of um, there being a nurse shortage at that time, there was also no reporting mechanism in place to track nurses at all. So there was no tracking on mental health history, um, any employment problems with other hospitals, and the hospitals were really concerned about liability, so they were unwilling to take any real action against him besides terminating his employment because basically he could, like, turn back around if they gave a bad reference and be like, that's defamation. And hospitals are banks. They make tons of money, so they're afraid of being sued. True. I mean, uh. I don't, I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't get it. If you know that somebody's doing something bad, to speak up, say something. Who cares about the consequences, right? It's really unfortunate. It's just they're afraid if that isn't proved, I guess. Like, it's making a statement like that. But, yeah. Anyways. All right. Okay. <laughs> In March 1999, Cullen moved hospitals again. This time to the burn unit at Lehigh Valley Hospital, where he murdered one patient and attempted to murder another. So, again, patients that are in a bad way, burn, you know, that would be horrible. That would be a really hard job. And then trying to kill somebody that's already, ugh, God. Yeah, it's just... That's fucked. A month later, he voluntarily resigned and took a job at St. Luke's Hospital in Bethlehem. Uh, throughout the next three years, Cullen killed at least five patients at St. Luke's and attempted to kill others. On January 11th, 2000, he attempted suicide once more after trying to light a charcoal grill in his bathtub. And he was doing this because he was hoping to succumb to carbon monoxide poisoning. This guy is so fucking extra. <laughs> Do you not own a car or nothing like that? Or like a gun or drugs. Yeah. You're a nurse. His neighbors smelled the smoke, obviously, and called 911, and he was once again taken to a psych facility, but released the following day, so he... Jesus. Yeah, and he was in, I believe he was in an apartment complex, so again, like, I feel like a lot of his attempts are crazy, but maybe not, it's like a cry for help more than, like, him I actually. think it's a cry for help, because each one doesn't seem like it was a full attempt to commit suicide. Beside the fucking scissors in the temple, like, ow... What what kind of scissors were they? Were they the kid scissors? I mean, how the fuck do you stab through your head with safety scissors? Oh, fuck, I don't know. You might have done it. To be fair, I've cut myself with safety scissors before. I have, too. I've actually <laughs> cut myself pretty bad. Yeah. If there's a will, there's a way. That's true. <clears throat> uh, no one ever suspected Colin of anything at this hospital until a St. Luke's co-worker discovered vials of medication in a disposal bin just chilling there. The drugs weren't valuable on the outside of the hospital. There was no, like, street value to them in any way. Yeah. Um, so someone is stealing them, or someone stealing them to get high was out of the question because it just there's no effect from those kind of drugs. This theft puzzled the staff and an investigation was conducted. The result of the investigation proved Cullen had stolen the meds. So you're right, there must have been, like, a badge that mm -hmm. he scanned. At this point, St. Luke's... Cut Colin a deal, which is so bad. But they basically said you can resign 
And you'll get a neutral recommendation, like basically we won't tell people that you've been stealing medication from us. Or we'll fire you. So obviously he chose the former and he resigned a no to. Jesus. Lucky motherfucker. And I just found a Lay's chip in my clothing. I'm That's disgusting. Fatty. That's not gross. I was just eating chips. No, you weren't. You were eating peach chips, not Lay's chips. True. Yeah. <laughs> I, I so was eating drunk. chip chips early. I'm not drunk yet. So you're drunk ass the other night when we were at Strawberry, was eating chips in the fucking tent. Mm. Probably spilt them all over the place like he fucking <laughs> spilt all the goddamn wafers all oh over the place. God. For people who don't know, we go to a music festival twice a year. It's called Strawberry Bluegrass Festival. Whoop, whoop, sponsor. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Um, But we just go and volunteer at the front gates, and then we party for the whole festival, and it's super, super fun. And the first night, we had started drinking Jack Daniels at, like, what time did we get there? Nah. Oh, no, setting up in the morning at, like, 10 in the morning. Yeah, 9, 10 in the morning. And I had had, like, six shots of Jack Daniels and crawled in our tent to take a little nappy poo with my little bag of strawberry wafers. And I get onto my cot all stoked and I'm like, yes, 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 yes. Open it. It explodes, like, in slow motion. And everything just flies all over. And I just stare at it. And I'm like, meh. It, do- it doesn't go all over. It just goes onto my cot where I have to sleep for the next four days. That's because days. I ate the ones that landed on my cot. Exactly. <laughs> so you left them for me to eat when I came into the yeah, tent. Yeah. Oh, to be you're nice. so thoughtful. I love you. Okay. Um, so they cut Saint or Saint Luke cut the guy a deal. He walked away and resigned. But after he left, seven Saint Luke employees later alerted the Lehigh District Attorney about their suspicions with Cullen. They stated that they believed he was using drugs to kill patients, which fucking obviously. But good for them. They finally, like, said something because mm-hmm. nobody else was. But investigators did not look into Cullen's past at all. Employment history, nothing. And the investigation was dropped nine months later due to lack of evidence, which I don't understand. But that's what happened. So Cullen once again found another nursing position. I wish I would have counted because I don't even know how many places he's worked at this point. Mm. September 2002, he was employed at Somerset Medical Center in New Jersey, and he was hired on in the critical care unit. During this time, his depression worsened immensely. He killed around 13 patients during his time there and attempted to kill at least one more by mid-2003 using dioxin, insulin, and epinephrine, which dioxin is, I believe... A heart medication. Insulin obviously is for people that are diabetic. Um, and then epinephrine is, isn't that to reverse a allergic, allergic reaction, I think? Yeah. Like an EpiPen? Yep. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. So very non-suspicious drugs. During this time, Somerset began to pick up on clues, alerting them to Cullen's wrongdoing. Their system reflected Cullen pulling medical files on patients that were not assigned to him. And coworkers started to notice him in patients' rooms that were not his patients. Also, the hospital's computerized medication dispenser showed Cullen requesting medication that was not prescribed to his patients. His requests from the medication dispensers were very strange, to say the least. He would request orders, um, and then he would immediately cancel them. And he made many repetitive requests within minutes of each other, just over and over. So, way to be sneaky. In January 2003, the executive director of the New Jersey Poison Information and Education System informed Somerset Hospital that four suspicious overdoses had happened in the last few years. 
This indicated that there was a strong chance they had an employee on their hands that was killing patients. The hospital delayed contacting the authorities until October, which is really unfortunate because by then, between July and October, when they got the word and they actually told the authorities, Colin had killed five more patients. Jeez. Yeah. So liability was such a big fucking deal to them mm-hmm. that they staved it off until they were like, oh, no. She is for sure doing this. <laughs> this is really bad. Mm-hmm. Um, this motherfucker attempted to kill himself again immediately after he attempted to kill a sixth patient at this hospital. And if the hospital, like I said, had acted sooner, none of these people would be dead. Five would still probably be around. Um, let's see. When a Somerset patient died of a low blood sugar... In October 2003, the New Jersey State Police were finally alerted. So this person came in just for low blood sugar, and then he passed away. And they're like, okay, this is not... That's not common. That makes no fucking sense. Yeah. This was Colin's final victim that passed away. Uh, State officials castigated, which I thought was a cool word. They used it in the article, and that means severely reprimanded. So, like, really tossed his shit around and got him in trouble. The hospital... um, Got in trouble and during the investigation because they failed to report a non-fatal insulin overdose in August. And Colin had administered that. So on top of them finding out all the other deaths, mm-hmm. um, this one had not been reported as well. And state police started looking into Colin's history, finally. And uncovered many past suspicions about his involvement in other deaths at other hospitals. Somerset fired Colin on October 31st. Ooh, spooky. (laughs) 2003, citing he lied on his job application. Again, fucking liability. He killed people. He didn't lie on his application. He worked at all those fucking hospitals. Um, Police kept Colin under surveillance for several weeks until they had completed their whole investigation, so they hadn't quite taken him in yet. Police assigned Miss Amy Lauren, who was a nurse and co-worker of Colin's at Somerset, to visit Colin after work hours while wearing a wire, which she is brave as fuck. Hey, Rue. This resulted in enough evidence for probable cause of arrest, and he was arrested at a restaurant on December 12th, 2003, and charged with one count of murder and one count of attempted murder. Because that's all they had, like, concrete evidence on at that yeah. time. On December 14th, he admitted to detectives that he had murdered Reverend Florian Gale and had attempted to murder Jin Han. They were both patients at Somerset as well. In addition to Colin admitting to... At, in addition, Colin admitted to murdering upwards of 40 patients during his 16-year career. Jesus. A lot of people. That is a whole lot of people. April 2004, Cullen pled guilty in New Jersey court to killing 13 patients and attempting to kill two others by lethal injection while employed at Somerset, so they're slowly getting all these people. Yeah. Yeah. They're doing separate cases for them, which takes a long fucking time. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, when there's a lot of patients like that, a lot of the time they get the serial killer on, you know, enough to where he is never going to see the light of day again, and then the other people, it's just... They see it as a waste of money to Mm -hmm. keep prosecuting somebody that's going to die on death row anyway. Yeah. As part of Colin's plea agreement, he promised to cooperate with authorities if the death penalty was taken off the table, and they obliged. A month later, he pled guilty to the murder of three more patients in New Jersey. 
Fast forward November 2004, he pled guilty in an Allentown, Allentown court to kill... I've been drinking for so many days straight now. Oh. Strawberry hit me so hard, sorry, I can't talk. It is, I'm tired. I'm so tired. You've napped, and you slept like nine hours today. I it wish I could sleep anything. like you. Yeah, it does. Alright, so he pled guilty to three more patients in New Jersey. Then in November, he pled guilty to an Allentown court, there it is, to killing six patients and trying to kill three others. On March 2nd, 2006, Cullen was sentenced to 18 consecutive life sentences. He will not be eligible for parole until 2403. So I think we're good. This little tidbit is super fucking crazy. During the sentencing hearing, he repeatedly interrupted the court proceedings by taunting the judge, because I guess the judge had pissed him off, and he kept chanting at him over and over again, Your Honor, you need to step down. Your Honor, you need to step down. Over and over for half an hour. And finally, the judge was like, fuck this noise, and <laughs> restrained and gagged him with the cloth and duct tape, <laughs> which I did not Savage. know that was possible. And this is an 04, and that definitely happened. Um, even after being gagged and restrained, Colin continued to attempt to repeat the phrase, like still making the noise and shit. Mm -hmm. And I love this judge. Because of all of this, Mr. William Platt... The judge at the hearing gave Cullen an additional six life sentences. Nice done. Nicely done, judge. I guess that was the only thing he could do. A little bit on Cullen's motive before I wrap up. Cullen stated he intravenously overdosed patients to spare them from being coded, which means their vitals going down so them passing away. Which is fucking bullshit. He told detectives he could not bear witness to or hear about attempts at saving a victim's life. You're in the wrong job. Yeah. You are in the wrong job. He also stated he overdosed patients so that he could end their pain and suffering and prevent hospital personnel from dehumanizing them, which, again, this is bullshit. It's a nice sentiment, but not all of his victims were terminal patients. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, the person who had low blood sugar. Yeah. Some of them had been expected to make a full recovery before Cullen just nixed them, so. That is Mr. Cullen. Fucking bastard. Oh my god. This has this episode, this research has given me so much anxiety. It has. I go to the doctor a lot. I have like a pain condition and a few other things, so now I'm just Not even necessarily that, you know, has their liability gone uh, gone down to where they're now able to start actually investigating these people and so i'm saying like i'm going to the doctor all the time yeah. i hope they're not trying to fucking kill me exactly <laughs> and your doctor's a dumbass too oh so. he's so stupid i don't think i can say his name because of liability but yeah find another one <laughs> so my case is about joseph michael swingo he was a swain goat swingo oh. sorry he's a serial killer who was a trusted doctor had easy access to his victims, and authorities believe he killed or murdered up to 60 people and poisoned countless others, including co-workers, friends, and his wife. Ooh. Yep. So, Michael was born in Octo or on October 21st, 1954, in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, his parents were Muriel and John Virgil Swango. And he was the middle son of three boys. Babe, that's Muriel. Muriel? What did I say? Muriel, I think. Muriel. Muriel. I don't know what the fuck I said. Muriel? Muriel. There you go. 
Anyways, uh, God damn you. <laughs> I'm sorry. He was the middle son of three boys. And according to his mums, John <laughs> was, or according to his mums, he was the gifted son. The gifted one. God damn it, I cannot talk. John Swango, the father, was an army officer and his family was constantly relocating. So in 1968, uh, the family relocated to Quincy, Illinois, and that's where they finally settled. Uh, John was a very big alcoholic, and the boys pretty much feared him, and so did his wife, Muriel. Ah. His, uh, his struggle with alcoholism was really the main contribute to why everybody hated him and why his family was really, you know, they really feared him. So... Evidently, his upbringing in that house wasn't that well. Yeah. I didn't really do a lot of research on, you know, if his dad beat the kids, anything like that. Just said that mumsies <laughs> took care of him and daddy was an alcoholic. So. <laughs> you keep saying mumsies. I don't know. I thought it was funny. It Fuck. is funny. <laughs> so then leave it alone. Okay. It's a comedy podcast. <laughs> so mumsies <laughs> was concerned about Michael. Michael. Michael, because he would be under-challenged in a public school in Quincy, Illinois. Come the fuck on. Yeah, so she went ahead and enrolled him into a private Catholic school known for its high academic standards. Mm, fancy. Mm-hmm. Christian Brothers High School was the one, or was the high school <laughs> that he went to. Christian Brother. Christian Brother High School. It's like, come <laughs> on, you could have came up with a better fucking name than that. I love that. We're Christians. It's a boys' school. Christian Brothers, that's it, that's it, that's great. So Michael actually excelled academically and became involved in other activities. His mums and him really loved music and actually Michael mastered the clarinet well enough to become a member of the Quincy Notre Dame Band and he toured with the Quincy College Wind and Cymbal. Ensemble. Ensemble. Of course it was the clarinet. It's the most fucking annoying instrument there is. (laughs) And this guy looks like a clarinet player. It's all... I just think of Squidward every time. (laughs) Yup. So, actually, Michael graduated from Christian Brothers in 1972 as his class valedictorian. Yeah. His his high school achievements were very impressive, but evidently they didn't help him get into one of the... uh, a good college, really. Okay. It was it was limited, so he decided <clears throat> to go to Milliken Milliken University in uh, Illinois, where he received a full music scholarship. Nice. Uh, Swango maintained top grades during his first two years. However, he became an outcast from social activities after his girlfriend ended their relationship. Oh, poor baby. Mm. So his, that's totally an excuse to peel, kill people. He hasn't killed anybody yet. He will. But yes. <laughs> his outlook changed. Uh, he exchanged, or yeah, exchanged his. I he pretty much just changed from wanting to be. Golden boy. Golden boy to being military boy. So during the summer after his second year at school, he stopped playing music, quit college, and he joined the Marines. And Swingo was actually trained to be a sharpshooter in the Marines, but decided against a Marine career, he wanted to return to college and become a doctor. 
1976, he received an honorable discharge. How? Do you know how that works? How do you... Just because he wants to go back to school? Uh, he served two years. I thought it was four, though. Yeah, but I don't know. It was the fucking 70s. I don't know about back then if you had to do a four or six year enrollment. The draft was probably still going on, I think. I just wonder how he was able, because it said they discharged him. Like, I know Mr. President Trump got out of, didn't he get out of a draft because he was in college at the time? Like, I know that was a thing. Mm -hmm. But I didn't, anyways. I'm pretty sure you can, though. But anyway, so when he came back, uh, he decided just to go to Quincy College, where he earned a degree in chemistry and biology. And I have no idea why he went for chemistry and biology if you want to be a doctor but uh that, that makes sense what are you talking about? well i mean yeah but he came straight from the marines went right into quincy college and then earned a degree in chemistry and biology i believe you need prerequisites before i am not informed enough to think on this yeah. right <laughs> but he also did two years before anyways yeah. who cares uh, once accepted into college, he decided to embellish his permanent record by submitting a form with lies stating that he had earned a bronze star, a purple heart, and a few other things in the Marines, which is a complete fucking lie. He was only in the Marines for two years, and I doubt that he even got past boot camp. Uh, again, how, it was so easy to forge shit like 25 years ago oh, yeah. and beyond. So during his senior year at Quincy College... He elected to do his chemistry thesis on bizarre on the bizarre poisoning death of a Belgian writer, George Markov. I would love to do that. <laughs> and then Swingo developed an obsession or obsessive interest in poisons that could be used as silent killers. Oh, not that. So I'm assuming that he had a you know. He had a plan. He wanted to go get a chemistry and biology background so he could fucking make all these chemicals that will kill people silently. Wow. Is what my thought is on it, anyways. I believe it. Yeah. So, he graduated summa cum ludi. I don't know if that's fucking right, but <laughs> we're going good. with it. Sounds good. Uh, from Quincy in 1979 with an award for academic excellence from the American Chemist or Chemical Society tucked under his arm. So, I guess it wasn't a really simple task in the 80s to try to go, you know, try to be accepted into medical school. And I don't think it is, period. Yeah, true. But back in the 80s, I don't think it would, you know, I think it would be a lot fucking harder. Why? Because it's the 80s? I don't fucking know. How is that? You just have a thought and have I just, absolutely yeah, no explanation behind it? Exactly. I just think that back in the day, it'd be a lot harder to become a doctor. I, you okay. don't, didn't have Google. They didn't have YouTube. You couldn't YouTube shit. <laughs> oh, my God. I will dis I will respectfully disagree with you. Well, I will respectfully call you a dummy. <laughs> okay. You mean you have to use books? Yeah. You, you can't just type it into a computer? That's exactly. so hard. It is. That's crazy hard. I wouldn't have been able to fucking survive. I mean, you couldn't do online college. <laughs> exactly. I wouldn't have been able to survive. I couldn't do that either. I would I would fail online college. I have to go, actually go. Okay. So anyways, <laughs> it was just the fact of the matter that there's a 
fierce competition that there's a lot of people applying or applying for medical school is really the only thing that was the issue. Okie dokie, artichokey. Which, wish I read that line before we got on that whole discussion, because <laughs> then I would have had an explanation behind why I thought it'd be hard in the oh 80s. Oh my god. So, uh, yeah, like I said, he had there's massive number of applicants trying to get into a limited amount of schools, and Swingo actually managed to beat the odds and get into Southern Illinois University SIU. Cool. So uh, Swingo at SIU received mixed reviews from his professors and fellow classmates. Uh, during the first two years, he had earned a reputation. For being serious about his studies, but was also uh, suspected of taking unethical shortcuts when preparing for tests and group projects. Oh, I hate that. So, he had, like, little personal interaction with his classmates after being, or began working as an ambulance driver. Ambulance driver? Yeah, ambulance driver. That's not what they are called. Oh my god, it's a fucking paramedic, I know, but my article says ambulance driver. Well, use the correct term. We are freeform right now. She was an ambulance driver. I'm going to punch you in the throat. (laughs) For his first year of medical school, and he was actually struggling with uh, the academic demands and work. Was had a lot of stress. Yeah, I bet. So he was kind of struggling. And then in his third year, the one-on-one contact with the patients increased. So during this time, actually, there was at least five patients that had died after they just re- uh, received a visit from Swango. Mm. And his classmates began to call him Double O Swango, <laughs> which is the, a reference towards James Bond, License to Kill. Anyways, uh, they also began to view him as an incompetent, lazy, and just fucking strange, which he really fucking is. <laughs> so while working on the ambulance as a paramedic, yes, and he drove the ambulance, so he was an ambulance driver as a paramedic working for an ambulance company, because that's what ambulance companies do. They hire people to they, drive ambulances. They actually, what they do is they go to really, really gnarly scenes, and they save people's <laughs> lives, and they be... They deserve to be called what they fucking actually are. That is all. Okay. She is very adamant about ambulance drivers. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm passionate <laughs> about it. Call it the right thing. So, uh, Swain Go actually, he showed a very unusual interest, interest in violent deaths, which came from him being a paramedic on an ambulance. Very nice. Happy? Happy. All right. Happy, 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 <laughs> happy, happy, happy. <laughs> Having a good time. <laughs> Having a good time, yes! As he got older, he became fixated on stories about the Holocaust. Practically, the, or particularly, god damn it, Wade. Anyways, he really had an interest in the ones about death camps. So, just reading about that shit gave him a fat boner. It pretty much, That is yes. so disturbing, okay. His interest was so strong and so strange that he made a scrapbook. Of pictures and articles about fatal car wrecks. Ew. Which is fucking weird. His mother actually got involved and she would contribute to his scrapbooks. So when she came across articles, she would send them to him. I'm 
so uh, right with that right i'm just like if i if i called my mom up and be like i'm so fixated on crashes if you see anything in the newspaper send them to me she would fucking call the doctor well and also that's all he does is deal with that yep. so it's like why do you ugh. yeah okay swango attended uh siu and had put together several scrap scrapbooks so when he was actually on the job as an ambulance driver sorry <laughs> as a paramedic not only did his scrapbooks grow, but he was seeing firsthand what he had only read about for many of years. Meaning that his fixation got a lot fucking stronger. And but, I mean, he was a paramedic, so he saw it before that. Well, and that's what I'm saying, is once he okay. was a paramedic, you know, at SIU, he was only just doing yeah. pre-rec shit, so he had been in the hospital seeing... You know, all that blood and guts and stuff like that. So once he became paramedic, then that's when it kind of just skyrocketed. Gotcha. So his classmates are, sorry, backing up a bit. Backing up a bit. Back, back, back it up. So um, his fixation was so strong that he would rarely turn down the chance of work, which actually meant that he would sacrifice his studies. So his classmates felt that Swango showed more dedication to making a career as a paramedic. Mm. Yeah, happy? I have it. I have it written down as ambulance driver. And uh, then you know he, god damn it. Anyways, he had more dedication in the career of being a paramedic than he did of getting his medical medical degree. Okay. His work became sloppy. And he often left unfinished projects because he, or because his beeper would go off and he'd take off to his paramedic job. The days of the pager. I remember when my yeah. dad had one too. So his final year at SIU, he was sending off applications for internships and residency programs in, in like neurosurgery at several teacher or teaching colleges, which I'm assuming neurosurgery which would be pretty hard to get into right yeah i think so but uh with the help of his teacher and mentor dr waxer waxner waxner uh who was actually a neurosurgeon <laughs> you're gonna say gynecologist no. i was like fitting <laughs> swain go is able to provide the colleges with a letter of recommendation meaning that he got in so Swango is accepted at uh, University of Iowa Hospital and Clinics in Iowa City. Once he nailed down his residency, Swango showed little interest in his remaining eight weeks at SIU. He failed to show up for required rotations and to watch uh, specific surgeries being performed. Oh, I would love that. I want that. Uh, so Dr. Kathleen O'Connor was astonished by this. And she was actually in charge of overseeing Swingo's performance. She called uh, his place of employment to schedule a meeting to discuss this matter. She did not find him, but she did learn the ambulance company no longer permitted Swingo to have direct contact Swingo. with patients. Sorry. <laughs> Anyways, she found out that he couldn't no longer have direct contact with patients. <laughs> So she decided that this wasn't cool because the reasons were not disclosed. When she finally did see Swain go, you're going to laugh about it too again? Fucking yes. distract me? Jesus. You are distracted very easily. I really fucking am. 
She gave him an assignment to perform and complete history and examinations on a woman who was going to have a cesarean delivery. She also observed him enter the woman's room and leave within about 10 minutes. So, what kind of pissed off Swingo, or Swingo, uh, O'Connor was the fact that he turned in a very thorough report on the woman, an impossible task given the amount of time that he was actually in the room, and uh, found Swingo's actions reprehensible and decided to fail him. Can you stop messing with stuff? You're distracting me. Again. Oh. Exactly. You got a lace chip in your hair, too. Did you not <laughs> shower since we got back? I showered last night. Oh, my God. What the fuck? So, anyways, uh, O'Connor pretty much said, you're a dumbass. I know for a fact you didn't do your fucking job. So, failed him, and that meant that he would not be graduating, and his internship would be canceled. You don't seem impressed by my story. I'm impressed. No, you're not. Don't lie to me. <laughs> All right. Yep. So, as the news spread about Swango not graduating, uh, duh, shit. <laughs> oh my god. It should not be this much of a struggle. Some of Swango's classmates who had uh, long decided that he was not fit to be a doctor used the opportunity to sign off on a letter describing Swango's incompetency and poor character. Fucking finally. Oh, there's that lace chip. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> They recommended that he be expelled. And Swango not hi- had not hired a lawyer. It is likely that he would have been expelled from SIU, but uh, from the fear of being sued and wanted to avoid the costly expense of litigation, the college decided to postpone his graduation by a year and give him another chance. Oh my god. Yep, but... With a strict set of rules that had that he had to follow. So Swingo immediately cleaned up his act and refocused his intention on completing the requirements to graduate. Okay. He reappealed to several residency programs, having lost that one in Iowa, obviously. Despite the extremely poor evaluation from the dean at SIU, uh, or ISU, sorry, yeah, ISU. He was uh, accepted into surgical internship. Fucking how? I do this guy. It goes on forever. This is it's so It's the same terrifying. thing as your guy. I know. It's so yeah, scary. But this fool is fucking in school. It was fucking dumb. So he got that internship for uh, surgical and followed by a very prestigious residency program in neur- neurosurgery at Ohio State University. This left many who knew Swingo's history completely dumbfounded. They're just like, "How the fuck did this dumbass get this shit?" That's where my grandma went to college. Actually, actually, my grandparents met at Ohio State. I'm pretty sure. Kent State, Kern State, Kent State. I don't even know what the fuck I'm yeah. talking about. You're but right. uh, he apparently aced his, like, the personal interview, the face-to-face interview. Yeah. I guess he fucking killed it. Of course, he's a psychopath. Yeah, it was one and was the only student out of sixty applicants into the program or accepted into the program. Sorry. Wow. So around the time of his graduation, Swango was fired from the ambulance company after he told a man having a heart attack to walk to his car and have his wife drive him to the hospital. What the <laughs> fuck? Oh my god! 
Yeah. This dude's a fucking nut job. Just go die, please. He's just like, can you go away? I got shit to do with my scrapbook. My mom sent me a bunch of shit last night. I need night. to jerk off to it in the closet. <laughs> you are really interrupting my time right now. Exactly. Jesus Christ. So, uh, he began his fucking internship at Ohio State in 1983. So, uh, he was assigned to the Rhodes Hall Wing of the Medical Center, which, uh, mm-hmm. shortly after he began... What what wing? Rhodes. The Rhodes wing. Yeah, like Rhode oh, Island. it's just named yeah, it's that. Just okay, named gotcha. And uh, shortly after it began, there were there was a series of unexplained deaths among several healthy patients being cared for in the wing. Weird. Yeah, and they did. I did check it out to see if he if there was any uh, number that I could give you guys, and yeah. there's not because I couldn't find it. So just several. <laughs> You can pick three to six. Okay. Anyways, uh, one of the patients who survived actually only had severe seizures, but she told, (laughs) or they told the nurses that Swango had injected medicine into her just minutes before she became critically ill. Oh, no. So they kind of got like eyewitness, but again, back to your story's liability. Yeah. So, nurses also reported that uh, the head nurse there, or nurses also reported to the head nurse their concerns about seeing Swingo in patients' rooms during odd times. There were numerous occasions where patients were found near death or dead just minutes after Swingo had left their rooms. Oh my god. Yep. Administration was alerted. An investigation was launched. However, it seemed as if it was designed to discredit the eyewitnesses' reports from the nurses and the patients so that the matter could just be closed and any residual damage curbed. So I, Swingo was, uh, he, he was pretty much, they, they said that there was no wrongdoing. He keeps getting away with it, and he's doing, like, the worst job possible. He really is. Like, do better, murder better. If you would have done better, yeah. nobody probably would have found out. Exactly. At this and time. And this dude's getting, like, these opportunities that some that were working their asses off didn't even get. Oh, my God. You're right. I didn't think about that. Yeah. So he returned to work, but was moved to the Doan, or Doan Hall wing. Within days, several people... Patients of this wing began dying mysteriously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was also an incident wherein several residences, residences became vici- or violently ill after Swingo offered to go get fried chicken for everyone. What the yeah. fuck? Like the employees? Swingo, but Swingo also Swingo. ate the chicken but did not get sick. Some motherfucker like... I'm going to eat these top two pieces of chicken. I'm going to poison the rest of them. Fuck these fuckers. Oh, my God. Yeah, that is so nuts. Fuck. And why chicken? Don't ruin fried chicken. I know. That's just... It's like the first time you get Ohio. really drunk off vodka and you can't ever smell it again. Don't do that to fried chicken. Fried chicken is oh, so Oh, that's good. fucking cinnamon for me. Every time I smell cinnamon, I think of fucking fireball. I ha- I've always hated fireball. It's so gross. I love how I relate cinnamon to fireball. Fireball, because you're a fucking white bitch drink. White bitch drink, okay. Party! Anyways, licensed to practice medicine, which he got in 1984. The Ohio State Residency Review Committee decided that Swango 
actually did not have the necessary qualities needed to become a neurosurgeon. He was told he would, uh, or that he would, he could complete his one-year internship at Ohio State, but he was not invited back to complete his second year of residency. So Swingo stayed at Ohio State until July of '84. Then he moved back to Quincy. Before moving back, he applied to get his license to practice medicine from Ohio State, which was approved in September. Sorry, I got my dates confused. And uh, when he came back, he actually didn't tell his family about all the shit that happened at Ohio State. He just pretty much said that he didn't like the doctors. (laughs) So he wasn't going back. So in July of 84, he'd be again working uh, for Adams County Ambulance Company as an emergency medical technician. Very nice. EMT. EMT. So I I was mislabeling him. He's an EMT. Well, he might not have, he might not have been able to be a paramedic because of his last. True. Apparently a background check, yeah, apparently a background (laughs) check was not done on Swingo because he had worked there in the past while attending Quincy. The fact that he had been fired from another ambulance company never surfaced. I mean, he didn't put it on his resume. He didn't put it on his resume. Uh, When he, or what did begin to resurface was the weird opinions and behavior that Swingo had. Out came his scrapbook, of course. So, uh, he began making inappropriate and strange comments related to death and people dying. He would become visibly, er, sorry. Sorry, God damn it. He'd become visibly excited over seeing in news stories about mass killings and horrible accidents. Ew. Or auto accidents, but horrible accidents in general. Even, uh, even to harden paramedics that had seen it all swingo lust for blood and guts was downright just creepy yeah it really was so again in september the first notable incident then swingo was dangerous occurred when he brought donuts for his co-workers and everybody ate one and ended up becoming violently ill stop it several of them actually had to go to the hospital stop it you're so <laughs> dumb uh trust me i know so uh there were other incidents where coworkers became ill after eating or drinking something that he gave them or prepared for them. Jeez. Yeah, suspecting that he was purposely making them ill, some of the workers decided to get tested. And uh, when the test came back, they actually came back positive for poison, and a police investigation was launched. Yup. The police obtained a search warrant for his home. Inside his home... They found hundreds of drugs and poisons, several containers of ant poison, books on poison, and syringes. So Swingo is arrested and charged with battery. Thank God. Mm Mm-hmm. Wait, battery via donut? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and fried chicken probably. Yeah. No, it's just going to be the donut one. (laughs) Anyways, uh, in August, or on August 23rd, 1985... Swango is convicted of ag- <laughs> aggravated donut battery. Yes. <laughs> aggravated battery. And he was sentenced to five years behind bars. He also lost his medical license from Ohio and Illinois. Yup. While he was in prison, Swango began trying to mend his 
ruined reputation by doing an interview with John Stossel, who is doing a segment about his case on ABC Program 2020. Dressed in a suit and tie, Swango insisted that he was innocent and said that the evidence that was used to convict him lacked integrity. So, as part of the investigation that was launched from the uh, co-workers getting tested and poisoned, all that shit. Yeah. Uh, a look into his past was conducted, into Swingo's past was conducted, and incidents of patients dying under suspicious circumstances at Ohio State resurfaced. The hospital was actually very reluctant to allow police access to their records. You, you can't really be reluctant to that, right? I don't order. think so, but I'm sure that they're, you know, they did their best to try. Oh, jeez. Yup. And then, uh, once actually a global news agency got wind of the story, the university president, Edward Jennings, assigned the dean of Ohio State, or Ohio State University Law School, uh, to conduct a full investigation to determine if the situation surrounding Swingo had been handled properly. And this investigation also meant that some of the most prestigious people at the university, meaning that, you know, it was going to be a big, big thing because they're going to be interviewing and... Everybody. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, offering an unbiased assignment of the events that had occurred, assessment? which... Th- Assessment, yeah, sorry. Meeks uh, concluded that legally the hospital should have reported the suspicion, the suspicious incidents to the police because it was their job to uh, decide if a criminal activity had been occurring or had been occur or had occurred. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> and Meeks also pointed out that he found it astonishing that the hospital administrators had not kept a permanent record detailing what had occurred. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, once fully disclo- uh, once full disclosure was obtained by police, the prosecutor, or the prosecutors from Franklin Court, Ohio, toyed with the idea of charging Swingo with murder and attempted murder, but due to lack of evidence, they decided against it. So Swingo got out two years or. After sentencing, Swingo was only served two years of his five-year sentence and was released August 21st, 87. His girlfriend, Retta Dumas, dumbass? Dumas? She is yeah. a dumbass. Had fully supported uh, Swingo throughout his trial and during his time in prison. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when he got out, the two of them actually moved to Hampton, Virginia. And once they moved there, he applied for medical license, but because of his criminal record, all his applications were denied. Thank fucking God. Like, why would you even try that? Yeah, that was dumb. So, uh, he actually found employment as a career counselor. Yeah, but it was no longer, or, but it was not long before weird things started to happen again there. Just like what happened in Quincy, three of his coworkers suddenly experienced severe nausea and headaches. He was caught 
gluing gory articles into a scrapbook. That's so creepy. <laughs> Which, what did this dude do? Like, call his mom and be like, Mom, give he me a scrapbook, please. He has please. his rubber cement and yeah. he's kind of like, hey, hey, hey. Exactly. Stick. Yeah, so it was also discovered that he had turned a room in the office basement into some kind of bedroom where he would often stay the See? night at. Yeah. Jerking it to a scrapbook. So in May of 1989, he was asked to leave. <laughs> <laughs> You're really fucking weird. Can you just leave, please? Yeah, so Swingo then went to work at a lab as a lab technician in uh, Newport, Virginia. So in July of 1989, he and uh, Rita got married, but almost immediately after exchanging vows, their relationship began to unravel. Swango began ignoring Rita, and they stopped sharing a bedroom. Oh. Yeah. So financially, he actually refused to contribute to the bills, and he was actually stealing money from his wife Perfect. without asking. And, stealing from well, his wife yeah. without asking. Yeah, he wouldn't ask his wife and would steal money out of her account. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. And then uh, Rita actually decided to end the marriage when she suspected that Swango was seeing another woman. Which he was probably just jerking it off to his scrapbooks at his office. Oh my god. And uh, meanwhile, at the at, as he was working as a lab technician, several employees, including the president of the company, began suffering from sudden bouts of severe stomach cramping, nausea, dizziness, and muscle weakness. Some of them were hospitalized, and one executive of the company was nearly comatose. Oh. Yup. So, from the wave of illnesses going around the office, Swingo had more important issues to work out. He wanted to uh, get his medical license back and start working as a doctor again. He decided to quit the job and start applying for residency programs again. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, at this point, Swingo decided that if he was going to go back to medicine, he would need a new name. So on July 18, 1990, Swingo had his name legally changed to David Jackson Adams. That is literally three first names, pretty much. It literally is. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> oh my God. In May of ninety-one. In May of nineteen ninety-one, Swingo applied for a residency program at Ohio Valley Medical Center in Wheeling, uh, West Virginia. So, Dr. Jeffrey Schultz, who is the chief of medicine at the hospital. I feel like he has a really big mustache. That's I do, too. That's why I'm talking like fucking like this. <laughs> and uh, he actually had several communications with Swango, mainly centered or centering on the events surrounding the suspension of his medical license. So, of course, Swango lied about what happened, downplaying the battery by poisoning uh, by poisoning conviction, and said instead that uh, he was just convicted of an altercation that happened at a restaurant. I just slapped somebody with the donut. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't poison So, Dr. Soltz's uh, opinion was that such a punishment was way too severe for what was actually, you know, what actually happened. Smart dude. Yeah. And uh, Swingo forged several documents, actually, including a poison or prison fact sheet, which stated that he had been convicted of hitting somebody with his fist. Donut. 
Yeah. He also forged a letter from the governor of Virginia saying that his application for restoration of civil rights had been approved. Schul uh, Dr. Schultz continued to try to verify the information that Swingo had provided to him and forwarded a copy of the documents to Quincy authorities. The correct documents then were forwarded back to Schultz, who then made the decision to reject Swingo's application. Good. That was a long process, but well done, Dr. Schultz. <laughs> that was good. The rejection did little to slow Swingo down, though. So next, he sent an application for a residency program to University of South Dakota. Impressed by his credentials, the doctor of the internal med medicine residency program, Dr. Anthony Salem, opened up communications with Swingo. This time, Swingo had the battery charged, involved prison or poison, but his... Wait, one more time. This time, Spago said the battery charged involved poison, but that co-workers who were jealous that he was a doctor had framed him. Yeah. After several exchanges, Dr. Salem invited Spago to come for a series of personal interviews. Spago managed to charm his way through most of the interviews, and on March 18, 92, he was accepted into the program. Oh, my fucking God. Yup. While uh, Swingo was employed as that lab technician, he actually spent time taking medicine or medical courses at the local uh, hospital in Newport News Riverside or Newport News at Riverside Hospital. It was there where he met uh, Kristen Kinley or Kinney, uh, to whom he was immediately attracted to, and he actually aggressively pursued her. So Kristen, who was a nurse at the hospital, she was very beautiful with an easy smile. And I have no idea what an easy smile is. Is it just easy for her to smile or is it easy for people to look at her smile? Or is she easy and she smiles? Damn. <laughs> Getting real deep. All right. Although she was already engaged, woo, she met Swingo. She found him attractive, very likable. She actually ended up calling off her engagement and began dating regularly. Can you imagine how fucking stupid you would feel? Just also imagine that this guy that she just broke off the engagement for after all this stuff happened is going to be like, fuck. <laughs> she really fuck. was a piece of shit. <laughs> I dodged that bullet. Well, I'm sorry, Kristen. You're awesome. You're beautiful and you have a very easy smile. I disagree to, with that. Don't mean to talk shit on her. You, yeah. You're, You're a stupid cunt cheater who married a serial killer. Sorry. Proceed. And then committed to... Uh, <laughs> you just ruined my story. I'm sorry. Yeah, so some of her uh, friends felt it was important that Kristen knew about uh, Swango's dark side and all the rumors that they had been hearing about him. But of course she did not take any of them seriously. The man she knew was nothing like the man they were describing. Vanessa, you don't know him like I know him. <laughs> oh, my He's God. He's a good man. When it came to Swango to move to South Dakota to begin his residency, Kristen immediately agreed that they would be moving together. Crazy. At the end of May, Kristen and uh, Swango moved to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Hey, Daniel. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Ashley. Jackson. <laughs> Uh, they quickly 
established themselves in their new home. Kristen got a job at the intensive care unit of Royal C. Johnson Veterans Memorial Hospital. That's quite a name. It is a very big name. This is also the same hospital where Swingo began to work his residency. And no one was aware that the two knew each other. So Swingo worked... Uh, Swingo's work was... Ex- I don't even fucking know that word. Why do you put words in your notes if you can't uh, pronounce them? I don't know. Exlem- exemplary. Exemplary. And thank you for calling me out on that shit. You're welcome. You're awesome, wife. <laughs> and he was well-liked by his peers and nurses. He no longer discussed... The thrill of seeing violent accidents, <laughs> nor did he exhibit the other oddities. Oddities. Oddities in his character that had caused problems in his other work. Good job. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> that was pretty good. I did a great job on that one, didn't I? Things were going great for the couple until October when Swingo decided to join the American Medical Association, the AMA. They did a thorough background check, and because of his conviction, they decided to turn it over to the Council of Ethical and Judicial Affairs. So someone from the AMA that contacted their friend, the dean of the university, contacted their friend, the dean of the University of South Dakota Medical School, informed him of the skeletons in Swingo's closet. So... Uh, Jesus fucking Christ. Swingo's dream of working as a doctor again was over. He was asked to resign. Relax, you're fine. (laughs) Well, as for Kristen, she was shocked. She was completely ignorant to Swingo's true past. Until she watched the tape of the 2020 interview with Dr. Schultz, or in Dr. Schultz's office. On the day Swingo was being questioned. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. In the following months, Kristen began to suffer from violent headaches. She was no longer... She no longer smiled and began to withdraw from her friends at work. At one point, she was placed in a psychiatric hospital after police found her wandering the streets naked and confused. Where's your easy smile, Kristen? Where'd it go? Uh guess it got wiped off her face because her husband was a piece of shit. Yeah. In April of 93, unable to take it anymore, she uh, actually left Swingo and returned home to Virginia. Soon after leaving, her migraines went away. However, just a few weeks later, Swingo showed up on the doorstep in Virginia and the two were back together. Mm. Yeah. With his confidence restored, Swingo began sending out new applications to medical school. And incredibly, Swingo lied his way into a psychiatric uh, residency program at the State University in New York for at Stony Brook School of Medicine. What were you going to say? Psychiatric. Uh, so he relocated, leaving Kristen in Virginia, and began his first rotation in the international or internal medical department at the VA Medical Center in Northport, New York. Again, patients began dying mysteriously. Uh, So Kristen and Swingo had been apart for only four months, although they continued to talk on the phone, 
during the last conversation that they had, Kristen learned that Swingo had emptied out her entire bank account. The next day, uh, July 15th, 1993, Kristen committed suicide by shooting herself in the chest. Mm. Yup. And her mother, Sharon Cooper, hated Swingo and blamed him for her daughter's death. Yeah. She found it inconvincible that he was were Inconceivable. She knew the only way he got in was by lying, and she decided to do something about it. She contacted a friend of Christian, uh, Kristen's, who was a, nor- a nurse in North Dakota, and included his full address in the letter, stating that she was glad he could not hurt Kristen anymore. Aww. But she was afraid of where he worked or was working. Kristen's friend clearly understood the message and immediately passed along the information to the right person who contacted the dean of the medical school at Stony Brooks and Swingo was almost immediately fired. Good. Mm Mm-hmm. So here comes the Freds. After being fired from the VA hospital, Swingo seemingly went underground The FBI was on the hunt for him for falsifying his credentials in order to get a job in the VA facility. It was not until July of 94 that he resurfaced. This time he was working as a Jack Kirk for a company in Atlanta. What's that? It's a wastewater treatment facility. Okay. So he was actually, he had actual direct access to Atlanta's water supply, which is kind of fucking freaky. Ooh. Mm-hmm. So, fearing Swingo's obsession over mass killing, the FBI contacted his employment, and Swingo was immediately fired <laughs> for lying on his job application. <laughs> At that point, Swingo seemed to vanish, and leaving behind a warrant for his arrest by the FBI. So, I guess he was actually kind of smart enough, because he went to Africa... And he realized that his uh, best move would be to send out applications and alter his references to an agency called Options, which is what helps American doctors find work in foreign countries. Oh, my God. So, uh, evidently, November 1994, Swango... uh, Sent off his application to the Lutheran, I don't even know, that church hired? I think you just didn't put a space. Oh, so the Lutheran church hired Swingo. (laughs) Yeah, that would make sense. Uh, It's been a long weekend, people. Yeah. And he got the job through uh, options, so he was uh, to go to a remote area in Zimbabwe. The hospital doctor, or the hospital director, Dr. Christopher Zaire, was thrilled to have an American doctor join the hospital, but Swango began working. It became apparent that he was untrained to perform some very basic procedures. Mm. It was decided that he would go to one of the sister hospitals to train for five months and then return to the main hospital to work. That's your solution to that issue? Mm. Okay. So, for the first five months in Zimbabwe, Swingo received glowing reviews, and almost everyone on the medical staff admired his dedication and hard work. But when he returned to the main 
hospital after his training, his attitude was different. He was no longer, or he no longer seemed interested in the hospital or its patients. People whispered about how lazy and rude he had become. Once again, patients began dying mysteriously. And some of the patients that survived had actually had a clear recall about Swingo coming into their room and giving them injections right before they went into convulsions. And a handful of nurses also admitted seeing Swingo in the patient's room minutes before their death oh or God. they were dying. So Dr. Zaire uh, contacted the police and searched, and a search of uh, Swingo's cottage turned up hundreds of various drugs and poisons. So on October 13th, 95, he was handed a termination letter, and he had a week to vacate hospital property. So for the next year and a half, Swingo continued to stay in Zimbabwe while his lawyer worked to find a or find his position at the hospital restored. Like where though? Where are you just gonna stay in Zimbabwe? Mm. Yeah, I don't have no idea. And his license to practice medicine in Zimbabwe reinstated. He eventually fled Zimbabwe and went to Zambia. I, I'm pretty sure. Zambia. Zambia, right? Mm-hmm. When evidence of his guilt began to surface, so in June of or June 27th of 97, Swingo re-entered the U.S. at the Chicago O'Hara Airport while en route to the Royal Hospital in uh, Saudi Arabia, which, why would you go from Africa to Chicago to Saudi Arabia? makes no sense. I was just going to ask you that. Sounds good. You're a fucking smart guy. You do you, boo. He was uh, promptly arrested by immigration officials and held... In prison in New York to await his trial. A year later, Swingo pled guilty to defrauding the government, and he was sentenced to three years and six months in prison. So in July 2000, just days before he was to be released, federal authorities charged Swingo with one count of assault, three counts of murder, three counts of making false statements, and one count of defrauding by using wires and mail fraud. In the meantime, Zimbabwe was fighting to have Swingo extradited to Africa to face five counts of murder. So Swingo pled not guilty, but fearing that he could be facing the death pen penalty on being held, uh, handed over to Zimbabwe authorities, he decided to change his plea to guilty of murder and fraud. Oh, now you're afraid to die. Yeah, so Michael Swingo received three consecutive life sentences, and he is currently serving his time at the Supermax U.S. Penitentiary Florence A.D.C., which is in Colorado. Damn. I believe. Well, guys, this episode ran a little long real quick. Catch us on Spotify, the Google Play Store, or iTunes Podcasts. You can also please, please follow us on social media. We have Facebook booze bullshit and true crime instagram booze bullshit and true crime comment like tell us your weird stories send me stuff interact also if you have your own special story you would like us to read on air we do have a gmail our gmail is booze bs and true crime at gmail.com again that's booze bs and true crime at gmail.com okay bye thanks guys <laughs>